Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Back to Basic. I am Danielle, your hostess with the mostess. Clearly still trying to figure out how to start these episodes, but um, here we are. So I'm super excited for this week because it is all the spooky vibes. If you don't know, I love spooky seasons. I love all things Halloween and scary things. And this time of year is just my favorite. I kind of love this stuff all year round. I'm not going to lie, but obviously this year it just really comes out. I love all scary movies. I love all the Halloween movies. I love a good ghost story. It's just my favorite. So I figured since part of the interview you were here later on, uh, we kind of talk about horror movies and scary movies and things of that nature. I thought I would start this episode off this week with telling you a little bit about my spooky season favorites. So to start it off, one of my all-time favorite spooky season Halloween movies that I literally have to watch a million times, Hocus Pocus, of course. How can you not watch Hocus Pocus and how can you not love it? Seriously. And it just is everything I love. It also is so nostalgic. You know, the scenes when the kids are trick-or-treating and they're doing all that kind of very... 90s Halloween thing. It just really brings me back and it kind of makes me sad that that doesn't exist anymore. And on top of that, I mean, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, it's so quotable. You probably would hate watching it with me because I literally sit there and scream the quotes and sing the songs and it's just my favorite. Next, I love the Adams Family and Adams Family Values. I mean, those are just classics. You cannot go wrong with them. I love the family itself too because you watch it and you're it's so funny because they're supposed to be like opposite and dark and but they really are like a family at the end of the day and they love spending time together and they love doing things together just, you know, in a graveyard, which like kind of I feel that. You know what I mean? So I love that movie. And then Halloween Town. My mom and I have have to watch them every single year. I've watched them since I was little. They are just such feel-good movies. Obviously, you cannot go wrong with a Disney Channel original movie from the 90s, but Halloween Town is just the epitome of Disney Channel for me. One of my goals is to go to the actual Halloween Town in Oregon because every year they dress it up like Halloween Town. It's where they actually film the movie. So that movie is just something that I've loved forever. And I guess it's also kind of nostalgic. I guess a lot of the reasons why I love so many of these Halloween movies is because they are nostalgic. Obviously, I'm a millennial and we're very nostalgic. And so there you go. Um, So those are a few of my favorite Halloween movies. But as far as scary movies go, I love Scream. Scream is probably my favorite. I love how campy it is. And again, the 90s vibes of it all. Um, I could watch Scream a million times and never get sick of it. I also love the parody scary movie, which obviously is not actually scary, but I just love how it kind of makes fun of that campy horror and Scream kind of makes fun of the campiness of some horror slasher movies. It's just one of my favorite things. So yes, those are a few of my favorite movies, uh, Halloween themed and just regular straight old classic horror movies that I have to watch every single spooky season Um, while that list is obviously not all of them because I think as anyone who knows me will tell you I could watch any kind of scary movie even the really bad and super ugly ones but those are just a few that I love and that I will be watching throughout this month and that brings me to today's interview So the reason I wanted to start off this week with talking about some of my favorite spooky vibes is because this week I interview Jess Costa. And yes, I know what you're thinking. We do share a last name. Jess is my cousin, but more than that, she is a screenwriter and a director, a filmmaker. She has done 
production design. She has worked in costume makeup before as well. She's just kind of had her hands in every aspect of filmmaking. And she is currently working on a horror movie, her first feature film called Sleep Talking. So her and I talk all about the creative process, how she got into film, how to be vulnerable in your own storytelling. And of course, we talk about all things spooky and we touch on some horror movies that we both love because what would spooky season be without that? So I hope that you are ready to grab your popcorn, that you are ready for all things spooky and that you're ready to get back to basic with Jess Costa Films. Hello, Jess Costa. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm good. Well, for those of you listening, if you haven't already put this together, Jess and I do share a last name, so nepotism is alive and well. Uh, (laughs) She is my cousin, but more than that, she is the ultimate creative. She is a writer, director, production designer, community coordinator, which is a new role. But instead of letting me go on and on and brag about my cousin, I'm just going to let Jess Costa tell you who she is. So Jess? I'm someone who shows up. That's kind of how I summarize it. I feel like film production half the time is like as long as you show up and try hard, you did it. And then the creative part comes <laughs> secondary. But what do you do? And besides showing up, because I know you're good at that, you always show up for me. But I am a film writer, director, and community builder. I am directing my first feature film, which is like a full-length 90-120 minute movie. And I'm just building community around it because I want to bring everyone in on the journey. And so really at my heart of it, I love to create and I love to share. As long as I've known you, you've always been creating things. But you started in film kind of at an early age. Yeah, so this was, it was back in 2007. I was in seventh grade where my friend Alana and I would make corny YouTube videos. And it would be from like music videos to All American Rejects to us squirting each other with water bottles, but then like cutting it so it looks intricate. And like we would cover the camera with like a Ziploc bag to spray the camera. So it's like, yeah, action shots, so cool. Yeah, and then, you know, I went to film school and all of that, but this was the real fun part about it. At what point did you decide, like, this is it? This is where I want to go with my life? I think I was in ninth grade. Like, it didn't take that <laughs> Like, long. right, right after, right yeah, after. I remember being in ninth grade talking to, because um, when I was in ninth grade, you were in a freshman year of college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I remember talking to, like, your brother Paul and his girlfriend at the time being like, yeah, I'm going to these film schools. I already know I'm going to go to USC. Awkward moment, did not go to USC. (laughs) I was like, but I know all the film schools I'm going to, I have everything coordinated and I have a plan. (laughs) And so since I was 13, I was like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. And here you are. And here I am. How did you land on directing as your creative outlet? I always joke going to film school was me paying to say I am a director and I am a writer. I always wanted to. The funny part is even when I was like, yeah, I'm going to do special effects and like I took animation classes, I was still making a short film every year and directing and writing something. And then it finally came to my senior thesis and I was like, oh, I'm a director because you have to promote yourself. You have to embody it and just be like, hey, y'all need to believe in me. Let's bring a team together. And I was like, okay, uh, hey, 
I'm, I'm directing this thing. Uh, you want to come along? And everyone's like, yeah, she's a director. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm a director. Because <laughs> it's like the first step is saying it out loud. And then we lie to ourselves that we don't want something because it seems too scary or too hard. And for me, that was directing and writing because I had to fully own my thoughts and my voice. I know you and I have talked a lot about finding your own voice and trying to like hone in on it. So as a writer, how do you turn that into film? Like how do you turn your experiences and your thoughts and your feelings and your traumas into art? I realized there was this moment I was talking to a friend about a scene that came about actually for my feature film. And it's like, I just had this image of like a little girl with a sheet being pulled out of her mouth. And then it became this like demonic sleep talking film that that's what it is now. It's about a young girl whose aunt is, has a demon in her and it's trying to possess her. And, but it all started from like, you know, sleep talking and a sheet being pulled out and a joke that I was like, ha what is she possessed? And I was like, wait, now like turned into talking about intergenerational traumas and what are the things that like our older generations inflict on us. I always joke, it's kind of like you get a ball of clay and you like throw it down on the ground and you're like, huh, that kind of looks like a horse. And then you start refining it to look like a horse. That's really what it is. It's like whatever your subconscious like vomits out and then you edit and then refine and then like actually bring those motifs through. But I think that's where I, I pull through everything with writing. It's a lot of subconscious turning intentional. You really pull like the real stuff into this like fantasy world. Why do you do that? Do you find that that's easier to deal with these real life, these real world issues? I always lived in a bubble growing up in the sense that I loved the make-believe and I loved being in my own little world. And so it's bringing that like childlike innocence mixed with the real life growing up moment. Like I always go back to the metaphor of like, when you realize you grew up, it's when the bubble burst. Also, I just love the make-believe and like playing in that way. So like I find writing real world stuff equally boring or then like too heartbreakingly real sometimes. So I like the fantasy to like, to put through another lens of separation so it isn't so raw. Do you think there's also an element because you are such a fan of that genre that part of you wants to create it? Like part of you wants to be a part of that. Is there a little bit of that? Oh, 100%. We grew up watching Charmed. Like, we had our ah, own the best. Like <laughs> We had our <laughs> own Book of Shadows. But yeah, you've always been a huge fan of those things. And mm-hmm. even when you started getting into, like, reading and stories, like, I remember, because I was a part of that, that was <laughs> Twilight, the Twilight phase. Oh, 100%. I actually joke that Twilight is what made me like reading. Thus began our, like, crazy Twi-hard phase. Oh, I, I think I'm back to round two of it, so. Okay, so back to fantastical writing, things like that. Do you find, as a writer, that writing these stories kind of helps you deal with your own emotions? Yeah, for me, film has always been cathartic. When I was in ninth grade, I lost my dad, as you know, and for me, I didn't know how to talk about it, but I created art. And that was, I think, the first way I was able to talk about what I was feeling without putting words to it. Even to this day, though, it's it's always whatever I'm working on internally 
it becomes like an external manifestation in my script where like right now I'm learning that I can't control everything like as we hit COVID. And my script is about an 11 year old girl who realizes she can't control everything. And if she tries to, it will be her demise mm. from like trying to control her chaotic sister or her mom, who's not really a mom, who's a workaholic or the demon inside her aunt. Like if you try to control everything, it's not going to work out great for you. Mm. So you're almost writing for this character, but in a way you're working through your own, whatever, maybe your mental blocks or something like that. It's working through and it's like trying to teach your character to learn the thing that you're trying to learn. (laughs) So you are working on your first feature film, Sleep Talking. Why don't you walk us through um, the process of writing a feature from scratch? Yeah, well, until... This year, I was so I was getting stuck in this cycle of writing 30 or 40 pages and then not being able to push past it. And so I took a writing class because I am both an extrovert and a writer. And I was taking with this woman, Naomi McDougall-Jones. She's a writer, producer, actor, amazing human. And I was we were doing some brainstorms in the beginning because some people didn't know what scripts they wanted to write. And I had... 30 pages of sleep talking. And I was like, you know, I keep getting to this point where I write and I can't get past it. And, but I also have this really great new idea that sounds so exciting and fresh. Maybe I should start that. And she was like, you know, it seems like this might not be for everyone, but the way that your brain is trying to save you from the hard part of the script is giving you a new fun idea rather than pushing through the whole process and really digging in and really as I said, discovering what I need to learn in that way. Yeah, so it's, I was like, okay, guess I'm stuck working with this because I don't want to cop out again and get distracted and get to 40 pages and stop. And uh, yeah, I've written, I think, at least eight full drafts. There's been many sections too, but uh, the process is weird. And it's like, I'm actually at this weird halt right now that I realize that I'm stumbling into, as we were talking about, like our traumas. I'm actually stumbling into a trauma of the parent dynamic of a story that, that my sister experienced more, like when my parents would fight and then my sister would protect me from that and shadow me from that. And so I actually don't have those memories, but then I started writing a script where the parents are fighting and the older sister is shielding her from these things. And so it's weird because I don't know if I'm ready to tell that story because it also doesn't feel like my story. Yeah, it's it's weird. And I'm like, am I ready to tell that story? Is this too vulnerable for me? But also... I heard a great quote actually this morning that the best gift you can give someone is sharing them your story. I love that. I guess where's the line between cathartic and healing through writing Mm -hmm. and it being something that's a little too close to home that I don't know if I want to work on that part for the next two years. So, I mean, really, it just sounds like you basically proved art imitates life by saying (laughs) like some of these things were experiences within your household or your family, and now you're turning it into essentially this like ghost story. So you write a lot about dreams. You write about a lot about fantasy. Do you have crazy dreams? Oh, I had a nightmare the other night. And like even a month ago, I was working on my script because my film is a horror film if you haven't gotten that by now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which we love. We love a good horror. Love a good horror. I've been in like watching a horror movie almost every night. So. Oh, I love that. It's also spooky season, so it's totally like warranted. Watched Halloween Town last night too. Not a horror movie, but Halloween. But also the ultimate. So Hocus Pocus is the ultimate. Oh, I could watch that 15 times in a week. To answer your questions about my crazy dreams, I remember mm-hmm. I was actually upstate at my uncle's 
and he has no service up there. And there's, we're driving past the town that I actually want to film in, Glen Falls. And we like found this old creepy bookstore with a magic section. But then I found some books that were like conjuring. And I found some books about like how to ward off the devil and all this. Yeah. I was like, oh, this that is took a, a left section. turn. Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, cool. Yeah, sick. Um, <laughs> and so I bought the conjuring book, obviously. You As you should. And then all of a sudden I'm sleeping in bed, dead asleep. And all of a sudden there's a huge bang. And I wake up and on my first instinct as an almost 25 year old woman is close your eyes, close your eyes. It'll go away if you pretend you're asleep. <laughs> and so then I can turn my phone flashlight on. I'm looking around because also there's no light switch either. It was just a lamp yeah. in the room. And then so I finally like brave to look around. There's nothing around. And all of a sudden I'm like, do I look over the side of the bed? Oh my God, what if the Conjuring book is open over the side of the bed? <laughs> oh my God, I'm not going to lie. The whole time you're telling the story, I'm like, tell me this book is somewhere that it shouldn't be. So I look over the side of the bed. <laughs> of course, because that's the that's the whole ch- horror movie trope. Don't go in that closet. There's a, you know, Freddy is in there. And then it's like, main character, I'm going to go look in the closet. <laughs> What's that strange noise? <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, maybe I should keep my door unlocked for my boyfriend while there's a serial killer outside. Like, that's – you basically were just, like, the first victim of a horror movie by willingly looking under the bed. I honestly think I would be one of the first people to die in a horror film, but more, like, not in the main cast, but, like, the – like, you see the serial killer. It's either to be the first person to die or it'd be too easy to kill and they leave that person alone. Ooh, Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like once it was storming out and I there was a frog hopping in the road and I stopped and then I like pushed the frog back to the side of the road. This was like, I can't run over you. And then I'm like, this is how I would die. A serial killer would either A, see me and be like, this is so easy, let me kill her. Or the girl just helped a damn frog, leave her alone. <laughs> They'd be like, uh, not worth it. Plus I'm a fan of frogs. But Back to the point, oh. where was The Conjuring book and what happened in this dream? Oh, so The Conjuring book ended up being on my nightstand. And I was like, it was fine. It was still closed. I was like, okay. So I look over the side of bed and all of a sudden I see that my lamp, the one lamp in my room, is laying on the floor, like half tucked under the bed. And I realized because the window was open, probably like a gust of wind came in and knocked it down. But it's like all I have in my head is the things that I'm writing for my script because mm-hmm. the little girl in the script who's 11 wakes up to all these horrific things like her sister sleep talking and sleepwalking and there's something creepy outside and they go to check it out and I can't work on my script right before bed. This isn't helpful. That's honestly fair. Does that experience help you when you're trying to write? Like, do you think back on these nightmares or these weird coincidences or maybe, you know, the thought of in your head, like the Conjuring book is going to be open? So I'm curious because you use a lot of your real life if you also pull at all from your dream life. Honestly, it seems more like the inverse. That's like the parts that I make fantastical. And then my dream life is like, oh, so you're letting this into your brain? Great. Let's play with that. Because, but it also like confirms for me that me being older, you know, the first instinct of like pulling in being like, just pretend you're asleep, just pretend you're asleep is realistic. So it just helps me make sure that like, oh yeah, no, this would happen because this happened to me by myself without like cell service because I'm probably going to (laughs) die in a horror movie. (laughs) Can you imagine horror movie director 
dies in a horror movie. Yeah. Sleep talking film. Director killed because suspected to be a witch. <laughs> and I'm like, and that's how I blow up. I'll be like the Van Gogh, but with ears. I know, but it's like that thing of like, where I'm like a true crime fan and I'm always like, oh, I want to be in a Lifetime original movie. Like about me, like Mila Kunis will play me. And it's like that thing where you're like, not really, but also like, hmm, how interesting. Sophia Bush. Sophia Bush could play me. There you go. That would be great. She'd be great. Okay, so you are a writer and director. Uh, What comes next? We're finishing up the screenplay. Mm -hmm. What is next? What gets us to the completed feature? About uh, money, there is no movie. (laughs) So next is fundraising. So thing is like you can build something on a dream for only so far and now it's like okay how do we fundraise and for me I'm throwing a fundraising event and I'm doing it in the form of a double feature drive-in and so it's a way that we can all come together in this wacky time and still help the movie because with every like ticket donation it helps the film grow and it helps us bring us to the next stage to do like a proof of concept and then to then move forward because we're going to be filming july 12th actually on someone's birthday i wonder who that is filming that's me spoiler alert that's my birthday is this guy paul costa yeah my twin my literal (laughs) twin so film is funny because you i have most of my team already built it's uh, people come together because they like the project or because they believe in me as an artist and then we make it happen because if we waited for all the pieces to fall in line no film would ever be made right if you wait till you have every dollar then you're like you're gonna be waiting for a long time girl (laughs) yeah so at some point you just have to leave because funny enough they actually people don't give you financing unless you have a date for your film I mean, it's you're really good at like manifesting or like you yeah. are really good at saying I will. So I'm sure that that's a part of it, right? You're like, no, we are filming. We're starting filming. And then, like you said, you go from there. You work backwards. And I'm also manifesting Nev Campbell be a part of my film as well. So so Nev, if you're listening. <laughs> so, so Nevy, what's up? You know what I love, though? Also, I think you said in the beginning that you're like a community builder. And I think you just like really brought it back around to that as well, because you have your team, you have people that you're working with in different areas and different, different facets of this film. And it's not like you have this crazy budget. It's not like you like are offering them money to work with you. It's through these connections and this community that you've built. How important is it for you? Community is everything without, without a team film doesn't happen. That's what I love about film. It's It's not like a painter, you know, you show up, there's a canvas, there's you and paint, and that's it. Film, I physically cannot make a film without other people, and I wouldn't want to. I love bringing everyone together. And the fact that we can have people come together in all different facets, and that even if you're not in film production, there's still something about it that makes you want to come together. So like with a drive-in, or like my big life goal is to do like a drive-in tour with this film kind of like I'm a band and even though I have no musical talent. That would be so cool. Right? I'm just going to yeah. be a rock star, but for a film. Exactly. There's so much heart there and it's there's so much celebration and excitement and getting people to come together for a film. Like that's the point. Like we all want to believe that we're working on something bigger than ourselves and feeling something that we're not alone. And film does that. And so building community and being mindful every step of the way 
Yes, warms my heart. Yeah. It's what life's about, right? Creating connections and relationships and networking and like cold reaching out. It's not always come easy to me. And I know for many people, you're very good at reaching out to people. And reaching out is something I think all of us have had in our mind a lot because of COVID. And it's really forced us to focus on reaching out to people. What are some of your tips and how do you do it? See, I'm such a cold emailer. (laughs) I'm very guilty of the cold email. But then I also, I ask a friend if they have a friend. And so like having that like one separation personal connection. And so it's like, oh, hey, we're in the same community. Like, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. I've had people cold email me and it makes my freaking day. The fact that someone who doesn't know me found me and thought I was cool (laughs) and thought that I was working on stuff and that I'm professional and that I'm doing it. It's just such a great feeling. So I'm like, I think of that every time I reach out to someone. It's like, what if I just make their day? by emailing them, by saying, hey, I want you to be a part of my team because I'm working on something I really believe in. That's really awesome. So a lot of it is the confidence. I think what helps me is that when I'm feeling down and when it doesn't feel like it's working, I'm also very honest about that, where I'm like, you know what? Right now it's really hard and I'm kind of scared. And people honor and admire that too. They come together and they're like, you know what? This is scary. And you're like, yeah, it is. So can we figure this out together? I think the times like you're like, oh, I realized so-and-so and I became really close friends because when like, it was either two scenarios, like where either something like really bad happened, you're like, hey, can I, I'm sorry to bother you, but can I just call you? I'm stressing out. Can I vent? And it's, or it's like, you know, you have like a glass of wine. You're like, let's talk about like the shit in our lives and let's like get to that deeper level. And you're like, oh yeah, great. Um, or it's you're stuck in a car for a really long time. But like once you get to know someone like beyond the surface level, that's just connection. And I think we forget with networking, it's just connecting with people and being human. And once we break down, they're like, we get rid of this, like, like, I need to say the right thing. If not, that's going to mess it all up. Then no, (laughs) no one cares. We're all flimsy and clumsy and kind of flopping around and we're going to make it happen anyway. Yeah. We're all just trying to figure it out. Isn't that how it always goes? Yeah. Yeah. What advice do you have for people that want to make films? I started off with just doing it. I don't know, just make it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, that's great advice. Just like start creating. Yeah, because like the thing is, I'm now at a different level of like, yeah, I have fancy cameras and I have crews of like 40 people, but I always remember how I started. I started with my friend Alana. Her and I had a camera. I'd be like, okay, uh, right over there. (laughs) And that's what we did. We did it with no microphones. My films have this like yellow hue to it because my house is like golden paint (laughs) and they were shitty, but I loved them and they were fun. Mm -hmm. And that's how I started. And like, no matter how much you get all the fancy, you know, gadgets, you can always do it with less and you'll always figure it out. So just try to figure it out. And that's the same advice you gave me about this podcast. You said, just start and then you'll figure it out as you go. And guess what? We're figuring it out as we go. You're uh, how many episodes in and you're doing it. And we're figuring it out. That's the thing, right? Isn't that the key? The key is realizing that it doesn't need to be perfect, which I am not good at. And it can change, right? Things can change in our lives. Honestly, it's more 
you connect to it more if it does change because it's growing with you as an artist and as a human. And I'm so well, do you consider yourself an artist as a radio person? You guess. I don't. Yeah, I'm so used to being like everyone. I'm like, yeah, you're an artist. I'm an artist. We're artists. I mean, like, I'm not gonna lie. I do a really mean paint by numbers. Um, okay, so just really quickly, I want to know, as a filmmaker, some of your favorite films. Some of, I feel like every time I get asked, they always change a little bit depending on what I've seen most recently. Fair. <laughs> so, like right now, top on my list. Well, Donnie Darko is one I always say is my favorite. It's for me, it's a nice middle ground because like when you're in film, you're like, oh, what pretentious film is your favorite movie? And I'm like, go away. (laughs) So I'm like, Donnie Darko is a good middle ground with that where it's like dreamy. There's a creepy bunny. It's on Halloween. I love it. Scream is one of my favorite movies because it's so meta in that it's a horror movie making fun of a horror movie while being a horror movie. Oh yeah. We love Scream. We really do. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yes. Such a good movie. So good. It's so good. And I'm trying to think others. Twilight will always have a place in my heart, as Mm -hmm. we mentioned already. I love that almost everything you've named is so on brand and so in theme (laughs) with what you create. Like you literally named like all these movies that have like these darker undertones and these fantastical elements. And like, that's exactly what you do. You create these (laughs) fantasy movies. You know, and I'm even putting stop motion in my next movie, like Beetlejuice. <laughs> See, I mean, you really do pull from what you love, but I think that's what we all do. My biggest goal in life is to make a movie that someone would want to rewatch. Like all the films I've listed, I've seen at least 20 times, like bare minimum. I watch Scream like three or four times a year normally, not in spooky season. So yeah. That's what I want. I want someone to want to rewatch my film and feel connected. What about directors? Are there any that you emulate, any that you really admire? I mean, there's so many amazing ones, right? Like we can probably all, I say directors and everyone's probably thinking of their top like three. Um, But as a director, what are some directors that you love? I love Tim Burton, obviously with Beetlejuice and... Um, Michel Gondry, he's actually a French director, but he does a lot of like these like playful, quirky films that also have these like really deep centers. And then like finally it's like Sam Taylor Johnson. She directed, she's actually most known for Fifty Shades of Grey. Which, Amazing. Like, obviously. But what I really love about her is this short film she made, which is a short film about the Buzzcock song, Love You More. And it's, she, and that's, she started directing late in life too, like when she was like in her 30s or 40s. And this short film is about a nerdy boy and this punk rock girl in a 1980s like prep school in England. They both go to this record shop to buy the, um, the 45 for Love You More for Buzzcocks that just came out that day and there's only one. And it's just that weird little connection moment. It's just so innocent and so pure. And there's like these little quirks and like mannerisms that just you see that they're connecting, even though they're making fun of each other. And I just thought that was so well done. But like her and like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who was just oh, so- Oh, yes. Uh, who we love. Uh, we if you don't know, <laughs> Fleabag. If you have not watched Fleabag, please go watch it. It literally is such a quick watch. I think I texted you like on a Thursday night and I was done by like Friday. 
Oh, definitely. We love a sexy priest. Uh, if you don't know, if you haven't seen the show, that's going to sound so bad, but it is so I'll well take, written. I'll take the bullet on that. Yeah, one. right. It is so well written. I love it. And also, I, I'm curious what you think quickly, um, because that's like a binge watch show, right? Like you sit mm-hmm. down and you're just like, I need the next episode. I need the next episode. We grew up when that wasn't a thing. Like we, uh, we loved Friends and Charmed and Vampire Diaries and all these shows where we had to sit and we had to wait for the next episode. Do you miss that? Do you love a good binge watch? And also, what are you currently binge watching? See, I do love a good binge watch, but I know statistically they say we're actually not as connected to our media and TV shows now because we don't have to wait and we're not making those long-term relationships with our media. That makes sense. But at the same time, like I watched, it was actually a couple months ago when it came out, but I watched The Great, which was about Captain the Great. I watched that in 24 hours, like within one day. And it was like hour-long episodes. I think it was at least 10 episodes. And yeah, I watched in 24 hours or like Natasha Leon's Russian Doll. Like that's when you know you really love a show. Yeah. So you're so invested where like, or like when I first watched Dear White People and there was- Oh yeah. Out. Mm-hmm. I remember being out with friends and be like, I want to go hang out with my Netflix friends. <laughs> yeah. I think that's interesting. I think I, there is such a part of me that really misses that the show just ended. Oh my God, I can't wait till next week. And like needing to run to go get a snack or run to the bathroom in between commercials. Like I do miss that. But I agree. I love the idea of like coming home from work or coming home from a crazy day and just being like, now I get to sit with whatever world I'm now in. I think there's something so nice about that too. And it's a good distraction from like stress. And it's it's exactly that. It's so accessible. It's like whenever you're emotionally ready to dive in and you need that to take care of you or whatever it is, it's there all 10 episodes or eight episodes at a time. Yeah. I love that. I just, my new binge watch right now is, well, I'm doing my annual Gilmore Girls rewatch. Nice. I, know, I normally and... do it around now too, but so my mom started watching it back in March at the start of COVID and I was like, we can't do this. It's too early. What are you doing? Did it this, I'm like, I need Yeah, it. but you can still do it again because it's just, um, you can watch, pick random episodes. That's sometimes what I do too. No, I see for me, if I start a show, I start from the beginning and watch it. Through. Okay. And the other thing is Shit's Creek. I just started watching Schitt's Creek. I saw, I need to watch it. Many people have told me to watch it and I saw that it won so much. I think you would like it though. I definitely recommend. All right, Jess, we will obviously do this again because you're family, so uh, I can make you. Just tell everybody uh, where they can find you. So you can find me at JessCosta.com. I have Instagram and Twitter, so at JessCostaFilms. Um, and my new film, Sleep Talking, you can go to our website at sleeptalking.film. We love it. And also, she really loves when you just refer to her as Jess Costa Films. <laughs> Just makes me feel famous. Exactly. <laughs> I'm very on brand. <laughs> it's very on brand. Jess, I love you. I hope that you will get back to basic with me again. Forever and always. We'll do a legally blonde powwow and really jam it out. Oh, that was the perfectly on brand statement to end this interview. Thank you. Forever and always. All right, that was my interview with Jess Costa. I hope that you enjoyed. Make sure to follow me at Danielle Maria Costa on Instagram. Follow the podcast at Back to Basic Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review. Let me know who you want me to get back to basic with next time and what you want me to get back to basic about. And I will see you next week because on Wednesdays we podcast. Was that? Did that sound like a ghost? <laughs>